Um, it is negative degrees out here in Chicago. My car needed charging. So, of course, you look for the closest charger mm-hmm. station, which for me was Evergreen. I made it to Evergreen Charging Station. And what happened? Of the 10 stations, I want to say nine or eight of them are all broken and mm. unable to be utilized. So, of course, as you can see, you have multiple vehicles oh, that's a lot of that Teslas. have died and are unable to be charged. You have people who are stuck out in negative degree weather. Yeah, covered in frost. You have a tow truck here who is trying to help and support. But again, all of these charging stations no longer work. This audio was brought to us by Kim Townsend. Uh, She goes by Butterfly Lotus on the gram, but you'll never figure it out because it's spelled bizarre. So uh, well, t- Tesla's it, not doing so good it, in the uh, in this hold cold. On. What, hold on, hold on, what? because I think a lot of people in this cold snap that we had recently in the Midwest are realizing, to your point, that uh, EVs don't like extreme cold. Double the time to charge them, way uh, worse range. I, I think uh, the guys over at TFL had a, a Model Three or Model Y that's over three hundred miles, and they got one fifty-seven in the cold. <laughs> Ouch. But uh, if we're going to play that, we also have to uh, play this post by uh, Alumaduty, mm-hmm. at Alumaduty, of a 2024 F450 cold start uh, in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Uh, this was negative 31 degrees Fahrenheit. I think it's only fair to show uh, both sides of the equation. That uh, that oil is a little thick, and my understanding was uh, he's using uh, five, might be five thirty in there, five twenty. It was whatever Ford's lowest recommended viscosity is, and it was still uh, thick as maple syrup. And it's plugged into a block heater. Apparently, uh, didn't do enough. <laughs> so it's been a, a tough week for vehicles yeah. uh, for most of the country. However, uh, those of us who are California pompous and live at the beach, our lows got down to about 40, which of course means uh, heated seats and steering wheels. <laughs> My <laughs> wife was just miserable. She's like, it's so cold. I go, do you have any idea what yeah. the rest of the country is yeah, experiencing yeah. right now? Yeah. And there's nothing on the ground or in the air. It's just cold but normal outside. Just cold but normal. Yeah. I'm not shoveling a driveway. and Sunny yeah. skies. Sunny. By the way, if you sit on your porch for a few minutes, it's warm. warm. Yeah. yeah. The sun <laughs> The sun is really low, so it just those rays hit you just right. Uh, we sound like a-holes right now. Uh, yeah. we let's, uh, let's move along. I've got a story for you that you may appreciate. Or, By the way, or it not. is the uh, Truck Show Podcast. I'm Lightning. He's Holman. What's your story? So my, uh, my parents took my oldest daughter to uh, the Forum, which is a, a famous concert venue and previous home of the Lakers back in its heyday, to go see uh, Steely Dan and the Eagles. I mean, the fabulous Forum. And uh, I get a text from my mom, and she goes, hey, we just met one of your podcast listeners. And I'm oh, like, what? That's weird. So shout out to Rick, who uh, apparently walked up to my dad and said, hey, are you a Holman? And my dad said, uh, yeah. 
He goes, oh, is that Marin? I recognize you from Sean's Instagram. And my dad's like, oh, yeah, that's that's our son. He goes, oh, I've been a longtime listener to the podcast and guess uh, took a picture with him and his wife. So my mom sent it over to me. So Rick, whoever you are, uh, thanks for listening and Dude. finding my family out in the wild. And you're thanks for being a creeper. Yeah, a little that's bit creepy, super right? Super weird, well, but cool. So yeah, so funny you say that because I asked my mom, my first question was, was it weird or creepy? She goes, oh, no, he older guy, super nice and uh, wasn't creepy at all. We, it was nice to meet him. I was like, okay then. So, so Rick, thanks for not being a creeper. Thanks for not killing him in the parking lot. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think he was going to murder them. I think he just wanted a photo and to say hi. But that's weird. Like I, I don't ever get noticed except for like locally. You and I've been noticed at a couple breweries and mm-hmm. and things like that and whatnot. But I don't really get noticed out in the wild. So shout out to him. I thought uh, I thought that was nice of him to uh, to come up and uh, make I don't know make me look cool to my kid. Yeah, again, weird and super cool. Well, what's not weird is Tread Lightly. We're going to be catching up with Matt Caldwell. He runs Tread Lightly. They're a phenomenal organization that not only helps to keep trails open but clean. They do a lot of community service. And uh, Holman, you're intimately familiar with Tread Lightly. Yep. So Matt's the executive director and a lot of different things they have going on, whether it's education, stewardship, uh, working and partnering with uh, other private organizations. Uh, There's just so much going on to help keeping our lands open to recreate. And I know that there's been a lot of conversation lately about some of the bigger closures that have gotten a higher profile, such as the ones in Moab. And I figured, well, it'd be nice to have Matt on to kind of see what Tread Lightly's take is on that and, and maybe get a different point of view. And later in the show, we're going to reveal who the worst drivers are. Is it me? Is it Holman? Is it you? Oh, it's definitely you. (laughs) Oh, it's me? No, or them. Oh, them. It's not me. Well, we're going to find out. All right. We have the definitive list. <laughs> Is it definitive? <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> All right. Uh, but before we can get to uh, the worst drivers on the road, we have to uh, thank our presenting sponsor, Nissan. So if you're in the market for a truck, head on down to your local Nissan dealer. You gave your choice of the midsize Frontier, the half-ton Titan, or the half-ton plus Titan XD. The Titans come with the industry's best five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. And whether you go big or small, Nissan has you covered with some of the best, most reliable trucks on the market. You can build and price your truck today at NissanUSA.com. So Marina McKee is one of our listeners, and a couple months back, I hooked him up with some base parts. He hit me on, on the gram at LBC Lightning and dialed him in. He has a 2014 Ram 3500 Dually. Fine choice. So he, had, he was one of the guys that had the emissions recall that uh, all these guys are getting sure. now. So he goes to the dealer, has the emissions recall. He's got all his bank stuff on. He's yep. kind of worried, right? He's going to get his warranty violated, something like that. Yep. And nope, rolled right out, sent me a DM, says, hassle-free, didn't mess with any of my bank stuff. I was actually complimented on the bank's parts. Awesome. He writes right there. So, you know, a lot of the dealers, they know the quality and the reliability of bank's parts. Here's what you're trying to yep. say is if you're a bank's customer... And you've got an oopsie from uh, Ram coming your way. You don't have to worry because the parts were made to be compliant from the beginning, and you no stress about ripping your truck apart and fighting all those stock parts because your stuff is going to be compliant. Head over to BanksPower.com to get your emissions compliant, fifty state legal performance parts. The Truck Show. We're gonna show you what we know. We're gonna answer what the truck. Cause truck. With the truck show, we have the lifted, we have the lowered, and everything in between. We'll talk about trucks that run on diesel and the ones that run on gasoline. The truck show, the truck show, the truck show. Whoa, whoa. 
Truck Show with your hosts, Lightning and Holman. So what have we uh, been doing this show for? Almost six years? Yeah. How much good do you think we have uh, put out into the world? A couple minutes worth. (laughs) Out of all those hundreds of thousands of uh, Uh, hours? Yeah, very little. All right. Well, uh, I wonder if having Matt Caldwell, executive director from Tread Lightly on the show, would give us some, uh, I don't know, some some brownie points and maybe offset all the ill-conceived deeds that we've put out into the world? It's not going to help us, but we should dial them anyway. Matt? It, this is him. <laughs> that was very strange. It was just, uh, we have a good connection. Do we have you? Hello? Check one, two. Is this thing on? Yeah. Okay, good. We're good. <laughs> All right. Mr. Matt Caldwell, do we, executive, do we wanna, executive director of uh, Treadline. What are we going to do just again? Let's just start this over. But no, I yeah, think this is funny. It's not funny. Yeah, no, it's solid. Yeah, it sounded like his phone was thrown out the window of a car and bounced a couple times before I answered. Oh, let, let me check. Matt, are you okay? Are you safe? When- this is audio, but wink that's, twice if you need help. Yeah, as far as I know, I'm good. Okay, all right, all right. We have a quick intro. Don't move. Yo, the truck show. <laughs> who dis? Who dis? Who the hell is this? A truck show interview you don't want to miss. We talk to top dogs <laughs> in the industry. How'd you blow up? How'd you come to be? Who dis? Who dis? Truck show represent. represent. All right. Solid. So, uh, it's been a minute since we've had that intro. We haven't done it in a while. Yeah, squad. I missed that one. All right. So, there's been a whole lot of stuff going on in uh, in in the land use uh, segment of our industry, and so I thought, you know what? I'm going to give my uh, friend Matt a call and say, hey, could you walk us through the stuff that matters, the stuff that doesn't matter, the stuff that is holding us back? I mean, let's just go over a few of the stories that have happened in, the, in just the past few weeks. Well, first off, can I apologize for rolling my TRX down the hill and, and destroying a canyon? <laughs> yeah, that, well, that right. wasn't you, but that <laughs> was going to be one of the stories that's going to bring me? up. No. So, so somebody rolled off a, uh, a cliff in Moab, and I, I guess they were inside, survived. The TRX was a, a tiny little smashed up, uh, looked like it had gone through a crusher at the bottom. That doesn't help land use. And then you also have the recent closures in Utah, but there's also a lot of good stuff happening in uh, in land use that I don't think we hear enough about. So we thought we'd get Matt on. Matt's the uh, executive director of Tread Lightly, and uh, thanks for uh, joining us on the show, Matt. And I appreciate you guys having me. Where do you want to start? I mean, there's I feel like the the industry is. <laughs> well, I have, I have a suggestion, Holman. Rather than jump into the updates, why don't we get a little backstory on Tread Lightly? Because there may be some listeners that aren't familiar with the organization. Cool. I, I'm I'm good to go with that. I think. Uh, you know, Tread Lightly has been around for 34 years now as a nonprofit. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, we started actually as part of the Forest Service. Uh, we're part of the Forest Service for, for five years, and then we broke off into our own 501c3 nonprofit. And uh, we really have three focuses, uh, stewardship. And we've come to learn that not everybody understands what stewardship is anymore. So it's it's trail work. It's trail maintenance it's doing our part to make sure uh, those trails stay open by boots on the ground work and then education work and communication and outreach with the public. That's really what we were designed to do. How did it break off, Matt? Like, was it a like a skunk works within the Forest <laughs> Service? No, I'm, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, great question. So really what I think the Forest Service finally understood was they're not going to be able to do this on their own. They really need industry partners to be involved with this. 
And as a government entity, they weren't going to be able to be involved with those industry partners. Uh, so that was the reason it was broken into the nonprofit. And obviously where we are right now, I mean, you guys are aware there's numerous uh, industry partners that we work with that make the work that we do possible. And in fact, uh, Tread Lightly has become, you know, really the, uh, if you will, the premium or premier or the, the place to go. Like if you're an automotive manufacturer and you want to get involved in, in stewardship or you're shooting a commercial and you want to have the action, but you want to do it right so it doesn't, you know, have, have a negative impact. Yeah, you right? don't want the optics. A lot of times at the end, you'll see the Tread Lightly logo, or this was in conjunction with Tread Lightly, and you guys end up being advisors or consultants of sorts to make sure that these projects are done the right way. Absolutely. We have several brands that, you know, reach out to us, whether it's for advertising or social media content, and really ask our opinion, like, hey, is, is, is this piece that we're getting ready to push, is, is it the potential there for issues? You know, if we've done everything appropriate, it's a challenging spot to be in, but I think it's something that the industry needs. Now, is the average person involved in Tread Lightly, or is this still governmental? I, I know it's a 5013C now, but like, can, mm-hmm. can, can we be involved? Can our, can our listeners be Absolutely. We can have memberships. Okay, I didn't know. Uh, absolutely, yeah. So memberships are really important piece for us. So we have grants uh, from the, the government, both federal level, state level, you know, some forest or BLM. But the the memberships from individuals is what provides the funding that's required for the match for those grants. So if a, if a grant has a $50,000 uh, amount to it, let's say we're applying for a grant in the state of Arizona, that might have a 10% or a 20% match that we have to come up with our own to get the totality of that funding. So the memberships are a really key part of that. And if you go down to uh, the treadlightly.org page and you can go to um, the Become a Member uh, dropdown, there's all sorts of levels. Everything that starts from a $25 individual uh, membership up through $50, $100, $250 to club members, $100 or $250, small business members, $100, $250, dealer members, $500. Each tier comes with its own set of uh of things that you would get with it that come with the membership. I want whatever's going to get me a badge to put on my Jeep. Well, you know, if you do the individual <laughs> level uh, membership for 25 bucks, you do get a Tread Lightly decal. Oh, okay. There you go. So there you go. I'm official. When this broke off from the Forest Service, what was the first big accomplishment that Tread Lightly touted? You know, I really think it was the educational component. Uh, we've got a program that's called tread trainer and then the master tread trainer, which is the train, the trainer component of that, um, tread lightly was started because of three wheeled ATVs. doesn't really seem that it was that long ago, but it has been that long ago till those were kind of bursting on the scenes and they knew that those were going to provide impacts on the land. So education was going to be a necessary component, you know, to help kind of mitigate some of those issues that we we're going to see. You mean the uh, death um, tricycles? <laughs> yeah, death. I mean, were you, were, you, were you like, stop, you guys should not be riding those? Honda, stop making them, right? I mean, any of us who are of a certain age who grew up on those things, um, hella fun and super freaking Dude, dangerous. Dude, my wife has scars from hers. Like, literally, she has scars. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that we're all, uh, you know, still around in some cases. So. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> And so you're out there uh, explaining where to go, where not to go, how to go certain places. I guess that was the education in the beginning, right? Just saying, like, that's the message overall, well, right? Is that w- here's where you should go to recreate. 
and don't go here because if you go here and destroy this land, they'll close more of it. Well, not even that. I mean, uh, that's, you know, I would even go at a higher level. It's wherever you do go, whether on private property or public lands or, or whatever, uh, tread lightly came out with the tread principles. And so these are the kind of things that, you know, new off-roaders should be aware of. So tread, T-R-E-A-D, each one stands for something. So travel responsibly, respect the rights of others, educate yourself, avoid sensitive areas, and then do your part. And under each of those things is a piece of that education puzzle to inform people. Because a lot of times people just, you know, they see the commercials or or they see a, a YouTube video or an influencer maybe doing something on a controlled course, maybe doing something environmentally damaging that's going to hurt the rights of everybody else. The key is to educate people so that they're not ignorant to the decorum that should happen out in the backcountry. Yeah, really well said. I mean, it, it, it's interesting to call it, but we call it, you know, it's an outdoor or off-road ethic. Um, and some of us grew up with it. Some of us didn't. The last three years have brought a lot of new uh, players into this thing that we love. And, you know, they don't have that frame of reference uh, of the tread principles. So having those is a really important piece, you know, for them to get uh, a better understanding of how do we go out not just and have fun, but how do we make sure we can keep having fun? A couple of questions. You're, you're talking about with COVID, a lot of people bought trailers, dirt bikes, quads, side-by-sides, Jeeps, all sorts of stuff to get out you know, out and about. Do, do you find that the biggest impact comes from urbanites? Or is there a group of people? Is it just a good cross-section of everyone who was, you saw kind of like hurting the land? You're like, we need to protect this before it gets out of control? Or Because here's why I ask. I'll be specific. I was sure. camping a couple of years ago, and there were people showing up in their like Honda Accord with a trailer and a quad. And they were ripping. They weren't staying on the trails. They were making dust through everyone else's campsite doing donuts where they shouldn't be. And I'm like, that was the kind of person who I needs to be educated. You're going to destroy it for all of us. Or, or am I, was that a bad cross section? Like, what do you feel? Uh, no, I mean, I think, I think part of that's correct. I, I, I asked the question one time to a federal land manager and the answer I got was really interesting. I, I was a little bit backing him into a corner to try to give him me an answer of like, who's the problem? And his answer was, Matt, you know what? It's 1% of everybody. Hmm. Oh, um, and I, he's like, I don't care whether it's the full-size crowd, it's the dirt bike crowd, it's the UTV crowd, it's ATV crowd. He goes, in some cases, it might be you know, the hiking or climbing or mountain bike crowd that have to access a motorized route to get to wherever they're going. We look at anybody that is venturing off the pavement you know, on public land they're a motorized recreation person. Whether their end activity is motorized or not, they still need those exact same roads and trails, you know, that those of us that are always on a motor vehicle need. So when we segment those out and look at, you know, it's them against us, that can have a really different outcome depending on who you are and, and what your favorite form of recreation is. That's actually a really good point. There's a lot of people who might be anti-access at least for motor vehicles, not realizing that they require that access to get to the places they want to go, to get to the trailhead, to get to that special spot to go hiking, to go uh, where they want to go rock climbing or, or whatever the case is. And really everybody is a access person, motorized access person, if you're recreating in the backcountry, because whether you're on a bicycle, a dirt bike, a UTV, 
uh, uh, Overland rig, any of that stuff. If you're on uh, a Prius, if you're on the dirt road on public lands taking you somewhere, then you are part of that group. And I, I've seen it so Holman, many. Holman into Tesla. I, Holman into Tesla. I, I, I've, seen it, I've seen it so many times where somebody was arguing for anti access. And when you press them on it, you find out, well, they're using the same roads and they think it doesn't apply to them. They're going to close it off to those evil off roaders, but us in our, you know, RAV4 adventures are going to be just fine. And you're like, it doesn't work that way. I had a guy ask me one time, he said, Matt, why do you have to off road? And I said, because I want to see as much as possible. And he said, well, that's why I hike. And I said, well, how much can you see in a day? And he's like, you know, I could probably do 10, 15 miles in a day. And I'm like, I could do 10 times that. So I'm getting to see more than you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we do regular trips and, where we do 100 miles yeah, see, a day that, off-road. That's just unfair. That's him putting himself in or him putting you in his shoes or vice versa. Like he's he's putting his right. opinion on you. Right. What's that's it's sure. OK for me to do something and it's not OK for you to do your thing. Any of us that want to recreate outside, we do it because we want adventure. We just choose to different do it in different ways. That's part of the fun of the outdoors. The the ultimate number of adventures that it offers. What do you come down on the new YouTubers like Whistling Diesel, who's blowing up trucks and dropping things from helicopters. Now, granted, much of it's on his private land. But then I think, right. and I'm going to screw this up, it wasn't Street Speed 707, but it was one of those guys who took a TRX and jumped it over a small, it wasn't a river, it was like a, a stream of some sort, and he lawn darted it on the other side. But then a lot of people in that community, there was an, there was outrage that he was making a mess of his uh, the countryside out by him. And like... There are a lot of YouTubers that are now into like the, the modern day jackasses and they're doing these things right. off road. Are you having to educate based on those exploits? Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of those things that we get involved in. Um, you know, we had a situation with the product launch earlier this year, you know, where something happened at the product launch and a video gets posted. And I had my first call within about 15 minutes of the video getting posted. So then, you know, we go to work and try to figure out, can we get that video down? Can we get it edited? Because it's what you said earlier. Some of this stuff happens in a private park or on on private land. But the average consumer that sees that doesn't always know that. And they can't separate from, hey, there was a reason why this was done there. But there's a reason why I can't do this on public land. Um, it, it's a hard piece to separate and get people to grasp. I tell people all the time, sadly, in some cases, we create the most ammunition for our opponents than anybody else. I mean, I think I think that's fair. I think there's people that are us adjacent who do that as well, right? They may not be the hardcore off-roader, but they have a lot of say or influence on the average person, like a, like a YouTuber or something like that. And you always cringe. I mean, I remember, you know, 15, 20 years ago, Tread lightly was important, and you, you, you know, from the magazine side, we were always trying to be respectful. But you kind of like, okay, but now it's it's so ingrained in all of us. Like if there's something that happens, like I see people self policing all the time. Hey, 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 no, 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 you you can't do that. You can't do that. Right? right. It's it's amazing how much uh, weight that those principles have on the average uh, recreationalist, I guess, today because. It it has taken decades, but I think the vast majority of people either know tread lightly in the tenants 
or at least loosely understand the tenets of what Tread Lightly stands for, because we were at LA Auto Show uh, in the OVR display, and you guys had your Bronco there. And I had a lady who came up to me and wanted to challenge me on all these Overland vehicles, and she said, well, how can you have all these vehicles when the air is poisonous to our, our children? And I looked at her like, oh, wow, here we go. <clears throat> so I, I went toe-to-toe with her. We had a couple, you know, volleys. And I said, well, wait a minute. Tell you me know, you punched her. I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one of her things, or one of the topics that I brought up was when I was a kid growing up in Southern California, we had first-stage smog alerts, and it was so bad that the air was so dirty that we weren't allowed to leave the classroom to go to recess because the air would burn your lungs. I'm like, we don't have that anymore. Most of the cars driving around have cleaner emissions coming out the tailpipe because of all the after treatment than some of the air that they're, they're, that's coming in the intake. And she said, you know, well, you're just ruining the trails with these big tires. And I explained to her about flotation. No. In fact, the bigger tires leave less of an impact because they're spreading the load out more. And then we got into conservationists. And I said, look at all these people here. I would challenge you to look at the off-roader as the modern conservationist. We all are conservationists. We pick up trash and mylar balloons and all those things that we see out on the trail. We get there and we're powered by solar. We're not running a generator or, or idling the car. Look at all these solar panels that are here. All of these people that you see in the display, these are all people from urban centers that have built up a vehicle so that they can go out to the the wilderness. Why? So that we can experience clean air and clean water and all that stuff and peace and quiet and tranquility also. So my argument is this industry really represents the probably the most and, and the modern conservationist. And at the end of our conversation, she actually thanked me and said I wasn't aware of those things. And it was actually a very productive conversation. And I would hope that that's been your experience more times than not in, in explaining what Tread Lightly is and what it stands for and, and the people that are involved with it. Because I think that, again, this goes to education. hundred uh, percent. I was involved at an event last summer um, where one of our industry partners brought a bunch of people from multiple forms of the recreation space, from you know human-powered to motorized. You know, one of the first exercises, what is one of those great exercises of pull out your phone and text the first thing that you you think of when you think about, you know, human powered recreation or people that hunt or people that off road. You know, so initially the list of stuff that started to pop up on the screen for off road was pretty brutal. But by the end of that day and a half, I think a lot of the people that were in that room had a lot of respect for the off-road people because they got to hear about the amount of, I'm going to call it positive impact that's been had on the land because of people that care about the land. We've had thousands of volunteers that have come out this year and helped tread lightly, you know, give back to public lands, whether that's like you said, cleaning up trash, um, you know, building fences that, that have been knocked out, replacing signage that doesn't exist so that people stay on trail there's a very active group uh, and you know, whether people have been able to be there or not, we have tons of people that call us all the time. When are you coming to my area to do a project so that I can help? That's some of the stuff for me that keeps me going when we sometimes want to bang our heads against the wall with everything that's going on is the fact that we know there are people out there that want to do their part and be involved. I was looking at the, uh, the website and uh, one of the things caught my eye, the, 
2023 Tread Lightly Impact Report, and this is uh, just January 1st through September 30th, so this isn't this full year. Already this year, under stewardship, Tread Lightly's been responsible for 219 projects, 1,055 miles of off-road trail enhancement, 301 educational signs installed, 92,008 pounds of trash removed from public lands, over 2,000 volunteers with over 10,800 volunteer hours. The value of time is $347,000 in basically labor. And new or renewing members, over 4,000, 7 million impressions from social media. And then on the education side, 718 online courses, 75 courses offered, 114 events attended, 34,000 outreach impressions, 32 volunteer, on and on and on. I mean, just the amount that you've done in three quarters of a year is, is I mean, commendable. And somebody's got to do this because without a group like Tread Lightly, there isn't really a, another advocate, you know, out there that is as intertwined at a national level. There's a few other players in the space, but Tread Lightly is really, you know, the one that has seems to be, you know, always around and looked up to. Well, you just hit one of the things that was big for me when I started. Um, when I started in, in October of 2020, our entire team was Utah-based. Um, and I remember talking with our, our board and particular executive committee. And if we want to have the impact that we need to have as an organization, we can't just all be in Utah. So we've gone from a team of seven to a team of 15 um, in three years. And we now have team members in eight different states. Without those team members being spread out like that, the numbers you just talked about, they wouldn't be possible. I mean, we're going to have done projects in 31 states this year. Wow. Wow. If everybody was in Utah, just the cost to get to those places would have been, you know, crazy. Again, it's it's our team, but it's all those volunteers um, that show up and make those possible. What is the goal of Tread Lightly? You know, like uh, state of California, let's get rid of all internal combustion engines by 2030 <laughs> or whatever. What is Tread Lightly's goal? What, like, how would you know that you've succeeded in 2035? If Lightning knows more about Tread Lightly, that will be a success. <laughs> by, the end of, by the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, well, you brought up the Tread principles uh, earlier, and I had a really interesting question from somebody last year. We, we were at an event it was kind of an EV focused event. And the guy says to me, are you going to redo the tread principles because of EV? Hmm. I said, great question. But I said, go back and read them. And like you said, look at the stuff that's underneath them. We've changed the types of motorized recreation over the last 35 years, but we haven't had to change the tread principles. The concepts that are there are, are still the same no matter the vehicle or whatever is propelling us on that vehicle. It could be um, shoes you know, and legs. But wait a minute. Right? But what, well, <laughs> yeah. you, got, you got me curious now. Like, Matt, what would have changed whether it was – You're know, asking what, what the guy versus... was asking. Yeah, I, I, and I'm not 100% sure where he was going. I think it was like, hey, the, you know, EV is changing the world. Do we need to change the tread principles? And I said, I think that's part of the, the benefit. They're kind of timeless. Whether it was the three-wheeled ATV, um, you know, back 35 years ago, uh, or it's the the overlanding rigs, you know, like Sean mentioned, that were in the OVR booth at LA Auto Show. The concepts are still there. And I think where I'd love to be is, honestly, I'd rather do less stewardship projects because we've educated so well that everybody's just doing it. So, well, then you're out of a job. 
So that's oh, not, no, no. That's he's got he's got plenty of plenty of work to do. <laughs> that's a, he's like, I want to cure all the ills, and then I'm going to retire. Listen, here's here's the deal. What? Going back to Matt's comment about the uh, you know the forest manager saying the one percent of everybody, it's all those loose nuts behind the wheel. They all need to be tightened. Every last one of them, <laughs> right? I okay. mean, that's 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 part of the uh, the problem is is the people, and there's going to be always be those people that lack the respect no matter what because they just don't care. And unfortunately, right. it'll not- grow back. That's what they say. It'll grow back. <laughs> well, you know, unless they knock down, you know, some uh, arch or something that took millions of years to. Uh, we've seen right? that in Utah. We've yeah, seen. we've seen sure. kids yeah. knock down stuff. Or, or Joshua trees that have, you know, been hit. Or I saw somebody trying to winch off a Joshua tree. And I'm like, it's not a real tree. It's yucca. Stop. Oh what are you doing? <laughs> no, really? And people don't realize Joshua trees are very slow growth. The Joshua trees you see on your way to Vegas, if you're going between L.A. and Vegas on Highway 15 and you're going by the SEMA Dome, and unfortunately that area was ravaged by fire a few years ago, but every one of those Joshua trees is hundreds of years old. It, the, the, the seedlings of the new Joshua trees that were planted in the SEMA Dome area after the SEMA fire will not be a big tree in our lifetime. By the way, C-I-M-A, not S-E-M-A. Correct. Different, different, different SEMA, yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people don't even understand you know, the environment that they're in or what they can attach their truck to if they get stuck or things like that. So there's always going to be education. We're never going to run out of people who... Uh, who, who who are dumb. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> who could use additional knowledge, I think is... Oh, uh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I was going to put that. That's polite. Part of the adventure piece, too, is enjoying some of those things that you know took that long to get there or have been there for that long. I mean, we did a project, uh, you know, we talked, you know, briefly about Moab. We did a project in Moab last year at Easter Jeep Safari where we did some worm fence or uh, sorry, bucket rail fencing to protect dinosaur tracks that are along one of the trails. But the, the goal of that is to preserve the dinosaur tracks, but to also keep the trail open so we can enjoy both things. Um, you know, that's trying to find the balance, I think, is is always the key. That that makes the adventure bigger. So where do you sit between the the tree hugger community that wants everything closed and they want to do everything on foot or they want to have a, put a fence around it and not a, allow access to anyone versus you as an enthusiast? Like, how do you... That's Ver, Versus really- Holman who says, I'm fine with wilderness areas as long as you let us drive on the existing roads because that's not always the, the case a lot of times they shut down everything and matt and i had this great conversation right. people don't realize when you shut down an area all you do is move all that traffic to another area mm-hmm. and then they'll be like oh well now there's more impact here they're not thinking of and it they like just that. like they look think at, they just won't come no that's like glamis right you start with yeah. you know closing off a big chunk of it and everybody gets smushed into a smaller area and then they go oh there's too much impact smush that down and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where if you had all the lands open and people recreated, you know, um, you know, without causing damage and, and, and did it with respect, then all that impact would be spread out over. I mean, fly over the United States. The Western U.S. is massive and there just aren't that many people to cause a problem. The problem is when you smush everybody into one little area because you close everything off. And that to me is the travesty of of land use today. Well, I, I was telling somebody the other day we were talking about trail braiding and user created routes and all of that stuff. You know, I live in Arizona. We have 45,000 miles of motorized trails in Arizona. There's like 80,000 in Utah, but we need to create other trails. 
so like those are the things where you know we try to have that conversation of like hey there's plenty of opportunities here you know let's stay on the designated route so that we're we're not causing you know damage and like i said we're not creating ammunition for those people that want to close it but in some cases we're putting up uh, fencing so we we have a project that we've done in sedona in the last year we had an area in sedona that became known as the donut hole that's what everybody called it it was where people that rented side by sides went to do their donuts it was really causing a lot of issues and had the potential to become you know a closure area so putting up the fence didn't close off the area it kept the trail open but it's preventing the issue that had the potential to close the area you know that's really a, a role that we try to play you know it's a different way of of trying to keep trails open and trying to keep access open uh it's by teaching or sometimes preventing people from doing the things that that might be the issue so what's it like as the uh, executive director of tread lightly when all of a sudden the internet blows up because there's a an accident like uh something on black bear pass where somebody rolls off or this in in the instance of the trx they ended up in the bottom of a canyon in moab do you start getting those phone calls right away and are you playing defense or how does that work i mean i can imagine that there's a lot of people who have your phone and you probably have it in your charger at all times and are you asked to go on tv and and make comments about it yes um to all of the above uh so you know, sometimes it's local issues. Sometimes it's at state level. You know, sometimes it's, you know, it's advertising from, you know, an OE um, that we get questioned about. We get asked, can you make a phone call? We had, you know, sadly, we had a situation a couple months here uh, ago here in Arizona uh, where we had a couple of deaths on a side by side. And yeah, we get those calls. And of course, you're asked, like, what's your take on this? It's challenging sometimes. Um, you never in in any stretch of the imagination do we want to see loss of life from something that we love to do. The other thing I think is key where we choose to respond or not respond is making sure we have all of the facts. You know, in that situation, we did do a lot of response because I didn't have all the facts. You know, where were they riding? Did they have helmets? Did they have harnesses, um, you know, appropriately attached? All of those questions. I mean, you know, you, you've got to have a lot of the information before we start chiming in and, and giving our opinion on those uh, when we don't know all the details. What do you do when you have two really well-meaning groups that cause a stir in the community? And what do, you, what do you mean? They're not necessarily wrong, either one of them, but their point of view is coming from a place of a good place and full of passion, but they're looking at it at two different um, positions, so perspectives. For example, you know, the recent land closures that happened in, uh, in Moab out northwest of Gemini Bridges, mm-hmm. which sent the internet mm-hmm. into a spin and everybody was freaking out. And there were some other land use organizations that were very upset about it. I, I myself, I was very upset about it, but then... There were a few people uh, who came out and said, listen, hold on, before everybody gets emotional and grabs your pitches, or your uh, torches and your pitchforks, let's look at it this from a logical standpoint. It's way less than what it could have been, and most of the roads that were closed had a parallel road within a reasonable distance next to it, so it's not really what it sounds like. The area is still open and has trails, 
but they're closing off, you know, duplicate paths and things like that. How do you balance those two different interests? One, you know, both people love recreating. Both people want to see open lands, but there, I think there's a, there's a more of a logical side and then more of a passionate side, and sometimes those two things sure. collide and, and cause a lot of angst within the community. You've just uh, given the 30-second microcosm of, of my life since the end of October. <laughs> he has to play mom and dad. Yeah, right? <laughs> So, I mean, you hit it really well. Um, and look, I'll, I'll be honest from a Tread Lightly standpoint, we were frustrated as well. Uh, some of those exact trails that are on that closure list are trails that Tread Lightly is not just done one project, but done multiple projects on, say, within the last five years. Hey, Joe Canyon's one of them. Sure. There's... Uh, frustration on our part when you've given sometimes blood, sweat, and tears literally to do some of these projects, you know, and then have that. I also understand the the comment that's made regularly of, well, this is just the beginning. If they take, you know, one mile, next time it's 21 miles, and the next time it, after that it's 121. And look, I mean, if we've been around this long enough, everybody has their example uh, of that. You know, if we want to go all the way back and talk about Teleco or, you know, whatever it might be, you know, that exists. So I understand where that passion comes from. I think for me, the suggestion there is I my first default is go to the tread principles to the E and it's educate yourself. Understand what was the reasons behind this? Is it like you said, is it some cases that it was, you know, parallel routes? And when we have parallel routes, we know our land managers right now, they don't have the resources in a lot of cases to manage the routes that they think people should be on. So when there's more than that, you know, there's going to be the potential to close those. Well, now let me um, throw in really quick, Matt. A lot of the BLM managers will tell you that their trail maintenance is through use. And so keeping those roads open require sure. regular use of those roads. So if you have too many trails sure. and the and nature's reclaiming one of them because it's not the main route, well, then right. that is slowly moving into the background as the more used route becomes the one that's that becomes entrenched in that area. And so to your point, these land managers at the Bureau of Land Management, Forest Service, they have to take those things into account. They're not going out there once a year with a bulldozer or a grader and making that trail. They're relying on recreation and people using the trail to keep it uh, uh, open and awake. That's interesting. I don't think a lot of people think of that. Like they think of just BLM as bad, 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 trying to shut, shut, shut. Yeah. And and they're using us potentially for good well, well, in no, some cases. I would say two things. One, where was all the outrage when the BLM asked for input? You'll look at some, they're, it's all right. publicly available. They maybe have this area that mm -hmm. affects a million people and they have 500 comments or something like that. But the million people right. on social media are pissed off when it comes to fruition. Where were they during the, the public commenting? That's part of it. The other thing I'll say is, you know, we recently did the old Traction Road retrace uh, with the BLM. And that was a trail that was on, the last time it was on a map was in 19, uh, I think, 13 or something like that. So there were portions of that trail that because of the way the road was constructed, you could still see it. But people hadn't been on it probably 60 years or more. And, and... It's it's that balance of nature reclaiming itself versus use versus historical value versus educational value versus recreational value. There's so many facets that go into it. It's a very complex process. 
hundred percent. I sat at a meeting yesterday in Sedona with the forest service for four and a half hours. And, you know, we're talking about the volume of, of traffic that we see in Sedona. Um, and it's obviously it increased several years ago. It's, you know, tapered back down a little bit, but you know, there's a lot of impact there and there's this balance that the land managers have to find. I mean, they're charged with recreational opportunities. I mean, that's, BLM and Forest Service, that's what they're doing. I mean, you know, Forest Service was the part part of the Department of Agriculture back years ago because it was about forestation, but that's, you know, somewhat shifted to it's about recreation. You know, they're challenged with um, finding that. Your example's great. Uh, some of these roads need to be maintained because they're fire roads. So if we weren't on them and, you know, we have fire issues, the roads not might not be in a, a condition where they can get into those areas. So there's plenty of reasons to keep those routes open as well. So much to think about. I mean, it's it's I, I don't think the average person recreating understands like what goes into managing public lands. And it's 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 a it's a hard job. I don't I don't think the average person understands how the trail got there in the first place or why it exists. Well, look at the I, I know this will be California pompous, but we're, we're here in California. Look at the Mojave Road which was on the map mm-hmm. as the old government road. That was the original trading route of natives on the coast trading with natives in the Mojave River Valley, in the Colorado River, uh, River Valley. And then when the Spaniards came to build the mission system in California, they used that route. And then eventually, you know, settlers came west and they found the route. And that road has been there for hundreds and hundreds, if not a thousand years. And today it's a it's an overlanding route that goes through the Mojave Desert. So... Some of these roads have that historic significance. There's places on that road where you can see, you know, uh, wagon ruts and things like that. Go out in other parts of the desert in the uh, George Patton Desert Training Center area of California. There's bomb scars and tank tracks that are like the dinosaur tracks in Moab, where those features are still able to be seen right off the road. It was a part of history. It should be preserved. There's the, the camps out there, the roads that take you to the camps. And then you go to a place like Moab, again, fossils and dinosaur tracks. There's all sorts of early man sites all over the uh, the southwestern United States with petroglyphs and the uh, sleeping circles or um, the grinding stones and where they would you know grind up uh, seeds and things like that. So it's just you just have to know where to look. And, and that's one of the great things about being able to recreate and go out there is you can go to a quiet spot away from it all and try and remember what it's like when people way hardier than you had an ox in a covered wagon and were sitting out there in the same spot. By the way, everyone back then was hardier than we are. Everyone. Everyone. Hey, hey, Matt, I have a question regarding the Midwest, South, East, et cetera. Sure. Are the problems that we face on the West Coast universal? Like, are they seeing them in Florida? For example, the guys, you know, the beaches where you can drive on the beach and things like that. Yeah. So some of the issues that we see on the East Coast kind of goes back to the discussion we were having about there's not as many opportunities. But obviously, you know, motorized recreation is still popular. So you have impacts, you know, from volume, from not having enough opportunities. So what we're seeing in some cases on the East Coast is, I would say, two things. Um, In an area like West Virginia, where we've seen a, a focused effort to increase opportunities and actually use it as economic development, um, there's been discussions about you know, how do we connect some of these towns that are, are 
going away because of the coal industry going away. How do we connect those for motorized recreation um, and, and maybe revitalize some of those areas? The other thing we see on the East Coast is a lot more private parks uh, because they've had to, you know, open that private park on private land to have the opportunities. And we work with a lot of those those areas as well, despite them not being on public land, because, you know, we know uh, those people in many cases want to make the pilgrimage west, you know, to wherever that is, you know, whether it's the Mojave Road or it's Moab or Glamis, et cetera. So we have to make sure that they understand, hey, the same way that you need to act on that park is is how we need you to act when you're out on public land um, as well. But really, it's it's just about having enough opportunities um, to be able to do, you know, the, mo- the forms of motorized recreation that we enjoy. Like you said, whether it's the beach or it's the Ocala National Forest in the middle of, uh, of Florida. Uh, or all the way up into uh, some areas of New England, like, you know, the Dorset area of Vermont in southern Vermont. So it's a popular motorized recreation area, but it's some of the only opportunities in the entire state. What would you say going forward with Tread Lightly are your biggest challenges? Is it the is it the advent of uh, social media exploding and, and people just looking for the glamour? Is it people uh, who don't care don't know is it is there any particular shift in society or or pop culture or any of those things that are going to make your job more difficult going forward you know i think and again maybe it's the microcosm of the like sean was saying of the last couple weeks or or, and months with the moab pieces can we band together and all try to accomplish the same goal even if we might be going about it in different ways there's a stewardship and a, a trail maintenance component to keeping, you know, access. In some case, there's a lobbying or, or litigation component to keeping trails accessible. But those things need to work together um, rather than, you know, potentially work against each other. The, the people that don't want motorized recreation, in a lot of cases, they're really unified. And it's why we're seeing some of the issues that we see. They might have differences, but when it comes to Sean's example of, you know, you guys are hurting the land, not helping the land, in a lot of cases, you know, that's where they are unified and they're pushing us pretty hard. And we need to make sure that as a community, we're unified and understanding that everybody can play a role uh, in making sure we we have the opportunities that we want to have moving forward. So what is the number one thing that our listener can do if they want to be involved in, in Tread Lightly? Is it to become a member? You know, membership's great. It's, it's obviously, it's valuable. Um, you know, our funding is, is split between memberships and industry partnerships and our grants. But I would say there's two other things. Look, not everybody, you know, is at a place that they can become a member. So volunteer, we have a new tab on the top of the website there. Obviously, we're towards the end of the year, so there's not quite as many opportunities, but that's where we put our opportunities to volunteer um, and come join us on projects um, is on that event tab. And then the other piece is what we kind of started at the beginning is make sure as many people as possible know about groups that are out there doing positive things you know, to keep access open and whether that's tread lightly or uh, there's a bunch of great groups, you know, all over the country that are doing that. 
from you know Michigan to Florida to California. The last tread principles do your part. Everybody can play a part in our goal to be able to continue to do what we want to do. If somebody needs help figuring out what that is, you know, hit us up. Come talk to us. We'll, we'll be happy to to give some insight of what that is. We have our ambassador of the years. Uh, we're getting ready to announce our third one. We've we've been doing that for the last few years. But the guy that won back in 2021, he does a tread trainer course like once a month. He he goes to a local restaurant. He gets a private room and he teaches people that show up and want to learn about the tread principles and what they mean to them. You know, that's a, a single individual on the other side of the country that's that's trying to do his part and make a difference. Hopefully all of us can figure out, you know, what that looks like for us and, and play a role. Damn, he's making us look like slouches, Holman. No, no, we have a podcast. We're reaching we're reaching billions of people on our podcast oh, about so it. Oh, so he's got... He's yeah, got, we're totally doing our thing. He's got 11 people in a uh, in a coffee yeah, shop. Yeah, we've got and, billions. Okay, got <laughs> it. Yeah. Oh, nice. I, I, like I was going like to say, spin. To, to that end, one of the things uh, that's great about the Tread Lightly website, so treadlightly.org, is there are quick tips with responsible um, tips uh, for all sorts of things. So whether it's 4 by 4 dirt biking, ATV, you would expect those things. But there's also great tips for... Uh, fishing, drone usage, shooting, hiking, hunting, camping, mining. Any mining on there? Where not to mine? Because that's what I would oh, do. I mean, you shouldn't mine without a permit anyway, because <laughs> oh, oh, really? you'll probably go to jail if it's on federal land, <laughs> and you have to have a claim, and that's a whole thing. So I love just mining. Yeah, wherever, so, I, wherever I park, yeah. is where I mine. Okay, well, don't <laughs> don't do that. I can't just pan in any stream. No. Oh no. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know. Yeah, clearly. Uh, maybe you need to go to treadlightly.org, or you could uh, head over on uh, on Instagram, where you can find. Uh, tread lightly uh, at tread lightly team on Twitter at tread underscore lightly and on Facebook also at tread lightly team and uh, Matt it's been a uh, a pleasure having you on the show I'm I'm sorry you were subjected to this podcast for more than 40 minutes and uh, Matt Caldwell doing the Lord's work putting up with two yahoos on a podcast well one yahoo hey how dare you I <laughs> yeah, really appreciate you guys thanks for the opportunity. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, Matt. All right. Take care. Bye. I, I, uh, I feel a little cleansed having spoken to Matt and Tread Lightly. Is that because he's doing so much good for the world? Yes. And we aren't. No. We should uh, check in with our uh, inbox and see how many people send us uh, angry emails about how much we suck. <laughs> do we have to? Of course we do. You email? Yeah. I email. Do it. All right, I'm going to go first, Holman. Uh, Jesse uh, hit me on the gram at LBC Lightning, and he wrote, Hey, Lightning, y'all read my email on this week's show. Sean mentioned reaching out to you on some more info on the Banks products for my 2017 Jeep Wrangler. I really like the Stinger bundle. Seems like it's the best paying for the buck. Jesse in Texas, and I wrote to him, yes, and here's the discount code. I'm not going to say it on the air because it's a one-by-one basis that I'm handing that thing out to y'all. Thank you for listening, Jesse, and enjoy your stinger pack and your your hookup from your your brother from another mother lightning. Wow. (laughs) Or you could just uh, say thanks for listening to the show and being a customer of base. Thank you, Jesse, for listening to the show. 
All right, I uh, got this interesting uh, email from Jason Gaynor. He says, "Interesting uh, build and price 2024 Sierra 2500 HD GMC." So he went on the uh, GMC website, and he says, "How does a company as large as GM make this error? The six liter has not been available for a few years and was never their diesel." And uh, basically, it shows the uh, comparing Sierra 2500 HD trims. And it lists the three liter and the six liter Duramax turbo diesel engines as uh, options. What? Right on their website. Six liter Duramax, which uh, never existed. So they just screwed up. So, yeah, some, somebody was just failing a typo. It. Yeah, I mean, there's a, they usually have agencies who do their website. I catch them all the time. So it's funny uh, when I've done stories and stuff, I'll go to their website and get specs and like I'll report back to the manufacturer more times than I go, this is all wrong. Like whoever's doing this, because a lot of times I'll cut and paste and there'll be a change for the new mm-hmm. model year and it'll be all the old stuff. And anyway. Have, do you ever find like a drop decimal so it's a 30 liter? You know, <laughs> no, I haven't seen it or something like that. Usually it's just... Uh, People who don't know what they're talking about just blindly plug it in text. Uh, it continues, on another note, when should we expect AEV to offer their Highline fender flares to accommodate 37 to 40-inch tires similar to their Sierra Grande concept? Well, I can tell you right now that it is just a concept at this time, but I don't think they would have put all that work into it if it wasn't something that they were looking to uh, to do. But nothing's been announced at this point, and working to get uh, Dave Harrington, the uh, founder of AEV, uh, on the show, hopefully in the uh, near future. And he uh, finishes with, I am 500 miles shy of my 100,000 miles on my 19 L5P. Going to keep on driving for a while, but I'm hoping AV will bring out the fender flares for my next truck. Best case is to pull a Holman and fly into Michigan and pick it up already ceramic coated. And uh, that was from Jason Gaynor. Well, uh, I did not fly into Michigan to pick my AEV Jeep up uh, already ceramic coated, but I did fly there and pick it up and have it expelled before my, uh, my drive home. Although your expel is ceramic infused. Impregnated, yes. Yes. Oh, impregnated or infused? It depends of what your vernacular is. Gotcha. Uh, Edison Motor Suggestion is the subject line from Matt Brandt, and he sent this over to the main inbox, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. I'm a big fan of the show. Uh, thank you, by the way, Matt. I was wondering if you guys could get Edison Motors on the program. I think they'd be great people to talk to about big rig trucking and the state of EVs, and they are designing a retrofit kit for one-ton trucks to make them into hybrids. I think it would make a fantastic addition to the show. They're on YouTube. Thanks, Matt, Edison Motors. And the next email has a similar subject line, Edison Motors. From Robert McKee. Have you guys ever seen Edison Motors? Besides talking funny, they are building a useful big truck, but recently they've been talking about making conversion kits for pickup trucks. Not sure if this is any interest to you, but what they're doing seems to be geared towards reliability and serviceability, something that Tesla and Nikola don't seem to take into consideration. Trying to build an electric logging truck has different considerations than a road truck. Keep up the good work. Been listening for many years, and you guys are making me want to move out west to get to public lands to play on. So uh, what are we doing about Edison Motors? I have been in contact with the CEO, and we have not settled on a date yet, but we've been going back and forth, and uh, he wants to do it, I want to do it, but they've got a bunch of stuff coming up, so probably be maybe a couple months before we get him on. Is that because we're booked for the next like, <laughs> yeah, 90 we, days yeah, minimum? Seriously, we have, uh, he, he went for a day, he goes, uh, the only date you have is this. And I'm like, yeah, we're just super busy right now. Sorry. So anyway, uh, we're. I just wanted you guys to know, we got more emails for people coming in asking. We get it. We're working on it. Uh, we love. So you no longer have to ask us for Edison Motors to be on the show. We're going to book it. All right. Uh, I got this one from Rodney Zup. Says, hey guys, this may be more political than you want to address on the show. 
And uh, he says, but if the EPA failed to report $7 billion in funds, how is the $2 billion Cummins fine going to be accounted for? And he sends me a uh, link to the Energy and Commerce Chair Rogers and uh, says, uh, Chair Rogers, EPA's failure to report $7 billion in spending is another failure of leadership. House Energy and Commerce Committee Chair Kathy McMorris-Rogers released the following statement after the EPA failed to accurately report $7 billion of its fiscal year 2022 spending as revealed in an EPA Inspector General report, and I quote, It's outrageous and unacceptable that the EPA cannot keep track of its spending or inform Congress and the American people of how it is using taxpayer dollars. This eye-opening report only further highlights the need for more transparency at the EPA. It also raises questions about whether the agency is incapable of managing its record high budget or if the agency is attempting to hide the amount of taxpayer dollars it is spending to advance the administration's radical rush to green agenda. The Energy and Commerce Committee will continue holding this administration accountable for its actions that are driving up costs across the board and hurting Americans. And what the EPA Inspector General found was the EPA's initial reporting of its fiscal 2022 spending uh, was not complete or accurate. As a result, the EPA's fiscal 2022 award-level obligations were underreported by $1.2 billion, and fiscal 2022 award-level outlays were underreported by $5.8 billion. This means that 12.9% of the EPA's total award-level obligations and 99.9% of the EPA's total award-level outlays were not reported in fiscal year 2022. That's insane. And the EPA also did not report any of its Infrastructure Investment and Job Act outlays and underreported the coronavirus pandemic-related outlays. The uh, key report, quote, by EPA Inspector General on January 9th, 2023 was, quote unquote, the lack of complete and accurate reporting also led to taxpayers being initially misinformed about the EPA spending and policymakers who relied on the data may not have been able to effectively track federal spending. So two things I'll say about that. Number one is clearly the Cummins uh, find is because they can't find $7 billion and they're trying to get some more back in their uh, couch cushions. Right. And uh, if only they would lose uh, 1% of that $7 billion on this show. Uh, think of all the good we could actually do in the world. They don't know who we are to engage in order to That's lose it. That's why too. we're perfect, Lightning. Because oh. nobody will ever suspect that a tiny little podcast shack in the backyard of some dude's house in California was the recipient of uh, EPA's... Uh, we have an energy-efficient uh, 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 mini-split. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll be happy to unplug the Dr. Pepper fridge if needed to get those funds. Have you ever had like an accidental deposit in your account of any sort, like five cents to fifty dollars or anything? I don't think so. I have, and Do I was they scared. Ask for it back. I was scared to death to spend it, and I think I held on to it for almost a year. And I finally got a note that said we accidentally made a deposit. It was like fifty-six bucks or something. I didn't know where it came from, <laughs> and I never spent it. This was many, many years ago. Uh-huh. So then, when they said we need to get it back, I just they just transferred it right out again. But Weird. can you imagine a with billion, interest a billion dollars? We uh, yo, we spent it. We yeah. bought we bought a couple high rises. No, what the deal is, you take your billion, you throw it into a CD, and then you only uh, burn the interest. That way, the billion's oh, still yeah. there. Can you imagine if because like Bill Gates, Bill Gates makes millions of dollars in interest every day. No, no, no. He can't. Bill Gates loses millions of dollars every day he, that he can't account for. Like the lights are on, somebody flushed the toilet on his yacht two extra times or whatever the case is. Like just, uh, I'm telling you, just people. If you're going to lose money, lose a little money with us. That's all we're saying. Mm-hmm. 
Traction Road Guide book publisher, subject line from Timothy Schwartz. Hey guys, on the most recent episode, Sean. <laughs> Why is that funny? That's <laughs> actually my name. But they won't call you Holman anymore. I know, they do all what, call me Sean. There's been like 10 people, whatever, it's, it's hilarious. It's super weird. I, it's cool. Fine. I mean, that I mean, is it, my name, so it's not that weird. It's but. not It's not that it's not your name, but it's like you're supposed to be like, Lightning and Holman, show hosts. But it's not. It's like, yo, what's up, Sean? Yeah, but here's the thing: is I think people are just comfortable with us. They're we're, they're buddies. They're like, what up, Holman? And then that's just like what it is. And then the other dude's like, nah, nah. I call him Sean because we're close. We're tight. We tight. I guess whatever works. We so, tight. Anyway, he says, hey guys, on the most recent episode, Sean was talking about finding a publisher for a guidebook for the Traction Road. Uh, Headstamp Publishing might be just what you're looking for. Ian McCollum of Forgotten Weapons started this publishing house to print limited edition, high quality, hardcover copies of his firearm books. And from listening to a couple of interviews that he's done, he also is very open to helping others publish books of this type. Hope to see you gents down the road someday. Tim from Oklahoma. P.S. Five stars. All right, dude. Thanks uh, for that little tip. I'll forward it to uh, Billy and the board and see if that's something that we might uh, be looking into in the future. Five star review. Five stars. Thank you, Tim. And now it's time for the segment you've all been waiting for. Can you guess? Can you guess? Can you guess the thing? Now, here's the thing. I've seen this on a couple of sites. and uh, kind of caught people, fire the last couple of weeks. A little bit, yes. And uh, word has it that there is now a list of the worst drivers on the road by accidents. Is that, is that so, how it's broken okay, out? Okay, so it's a little suspect, right? Because it was put out by uh, LendingTree.com. And so the article- Wait, you know LendingTree for their exhaustive- lending. Research in automobilia yeah, or their lending. Mm. I, I'm guessing they're trying to get people who want car loans to uh, engage. And so they talked about analyzing 30 car brands and who was the worst driver. That included how many incidents per 1,000, and that included accidents, DUIs, speeding, and citations from November 2022 uh, to November of 2023. They basically compiled a a list of all the brands. Okay, um, so I'm gonna say that the number one has to be Dodge Charger owners, Hellcat drivers. Uh, you'd be wrong. I'd be wrong. You, you, are you gonna buzz yourself? Yeah. So it's not a hole drivers. It's accidents. No, okay. it's incidents. Incidents. Uh, incidents. All right. Well, why don't you go down the list and let's take a let's analyze it. All right, so uh, coming in at number 10. 10. Is Toyota. Uh, That's interesting. I wouldn't have even expected that. Coming in at number... Nine. Would be Hyundai. Okay. And number... Eight. uh, Infinity. Infinity. Okay. Seven. Lexus. Mm -hmm. Six. BMW. Five. So here's what's interesting is there's all these luxury brands all grouped together. So I don't know if it's kind of like uh, entitlement or you're just pretentious or whatever. You just think you own the road until you don't. And then BMW at number six, they were also the highest DUI rate and it wasn't even close. So BMW had a uh, DUI per thousand of 3.13. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ram came in number two at 1.72. And at number three was Subaru at 1.45. So Dude, you guys driving your BMWs, you like to uh, 
You like the hooch. Is this because they're getting sauced out on the golf course? I have no idea. Or do you remember what I heard? um, This is many years ago, and I have this. It's not based in any kind of fact, just what the guy told me. He worked for Amex, and he was uh, worked for the collections department. And he said... Uh, we were, I, I said, who do you end up repoing the most cars from? Because uh-huh. he told me that a lot of guys yeah. put their cars on Amex, which I thought was mind-boggling. Weird. I would never think no. to put a oh, car on a, on a... 15% APR. I'm just saying. And he says... But they want the points, I guess. I, I don't know. But he said, I, he goes, yeah, we repo a lot of cars. I go, I go who, who, from like what group? And he goes, and he was said it without even pausing. He says, dentists. And I said, excuse me? He <laughs> said, dentists. What do dentists like to drive? They were Mercedes? Like, oh, high-end cars. Yeah, they were Porsche. Oh, I didn't know Mercedes. if there was a brand that was particularly... I don't recall him <laughs> saying a brand, but it was the fact that he had narrowed it down to dentists nope. as being the most... Well, what, r- easiest repo. to repo, too, because you can when they're in surgery or they've got the drill out, they can't hear the tow truck. So you just do it while he's working on somebody's cavity and then grab it. And coming in at number five, Mazda. Really? Which is... I, Mazda drivers seem okay to me. Yeah. Uh, number four. Full Volkswagen, definitely okay. could can see that. A lot of younger drivers yeah. out of high school, college, driving their Jettas around. Are they driving <laughs> Jettas? <laughs> they sure are. Okay, three, uh, three Subaru. Okay, which I don't. That's wouldn't rank for me. I don't see many Outback drivers no. lane splitting and stuff like that. Um, you know? well, actually, you don't lane split. That's a motorcycle thing. Yeah, you know, so that would be weird yeah. if your Outback was lane splitting. <laughs> that's a skinny, skinny car. Two. Uh, Tesla. That I see. But I would have thought Tesla was number one because they freaking drive horribly. They're Most of them are jerk-offs. Hmm. They just don't drive well. And here's the other thing. You would think that there wouldn't be as many incidents because if the car's driving itself, like it, there's not like aggressive mode, is there? you think it would be more mellow while it drives itself. And it's filled with safety equipment. So, like, how could it have so many accidents and tickets and maybe they're just driving fast? But they, they are bad. I would have expected number one. I don't know. And coming in at number one. Can you guess? Can you uh, guess that thing? Can you guess? Can you guess? Can you guess the thing? So, the worst drivers worse on the road. than Tesla. Worse than Tesla. All right, give it to me. Rams. Good job, so that's you, man. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. In the report, it says Rams are known for powerful engines with impressive speed and horsepower. <laughs> uh, it says Ram drivers finished in the top five among each of the four driving incidents uh, analyzed. That would be uh, speeding. Mm. Uh, so that was 4.42 per thousand. Second most accidents at 22.76 per thousand. And uh, DUI is 1.72, and the fifth most citations at eight per thousand. Wow. Okay. Well, I don't see I, no, Ram drivers. There's n- no. Mm-mm. But here's why Mm-mm. I think this list is suspect. Okay. There's no Dodge listed on it. And we all know, like, okay, you uh, know I have an affinity uh, yep. for California police pursuits. I am on forums. I have a whole network of people. We all text each other. We find it on our phones, and we watch. Pers- I watch every pursuit that I. Pa- I will stop everything. Stop talking to you. And I will immerse myself. Even my wife in the middle of the day, she's in a meeting and she's like pursuit, and I'm like, yeah, I'm on it. I will say a good sixty percent of the time is a Dodge Charger. 
Like it's crazy yeah, how yeah. I don't much know Dodge why acts. mostly because it gets stolen and they're trying to getting run away. stolen. Yeah, and also the drivers suck. I don't know. The drivers are aggressive, Have and you, I do know very that aggressive. the drivers are aggressive. They're it's the type of people that are attracted to everything from the TRX like mine to all, all the Hellcats. And even like it's funny, even some of the uh, the V sixes that they're like sound like they're super weenie on the road, but they drive them awful. Yeah, I just it's something about the car that attracts that guy. I think it's low interest rates and a low entry price. It's or but something not like for that. all of them. I don't know. Hmm. So here's uh, this is something that's interested. You know who the best drivers were? The fifty percent safer than Ram drivers. drivers. Okay, best the best drivers. Best drivers. So they're they're not Mercedes. Uh, v- v- Volvo. This is what's hilarious. It's three brands that are all gone now: Mercury, Pontiac, and Saturn. So is that because there's well, then the numbers on the road are so small. Yeah, but they did why. it per thousand, though, oh. so it doesn't matter. Well, then they're all super old, right? And people the, are trying to keep them together. I guess. No, no, no. The people who drive them were old. Nah, there's no old dri- people driving Saturns. Saturns are all oh, returned, Saturns, turned no. to the earth. Yeah, Pontiac but, and Mercury. I'll give you that. Yeah, maybe Saturns. That weird. Yes. So where, where's Dodge in that list? So anyway, I thought that was kind of weird. It said- yeah, This uh, whole thing is bogus. It is bogus. It's yeah. bogosity uh, at its finest. By state, Ram had the uh, worst drivers across nearly half the U.S. So when you took a, a closer look by state, Ram was the worst in nearly half the country. Incidents for Ram drivers were higher than any other brand in 23 states, significantly higher than uh, any of the ones analyzed. And uh, it also said Ram drivers had the highest incident rate in, of all places, Massachusetts. What? With- 64.44 per thousand incident rate. Why massive? What? And so the only state with a higher incident rate for a particular car brand was Rhode Island, of all places, where Infinity drivers had a 64.69 per thousand. What is going on, Rhode Island, with you and your Infinities out That's there? That's the tiniest little state ever. What's I know. Going you just trying to ra- race from one side to the other or something like that? Hmm. Uh, Tesla drivers had the highest incident rate in 11 states, which makes sense. Uh, they were the only other brand in the double digits. And if you... somebody out there, one of you, one of you guys listening, has some info about this this Maybe. data. You gotta you you gotta know more about this. So here's what's interesting: is uh, the high states with the uh, the highest driving instance per thousand. You might say California, and uh, you would be, be right. Wrong. You, you are right. <laughs> really? With Subaru. Fifty-seven point six six. Wait, oh, hold on a second. It's all those kids rally crossing around the city. Well, wait a minute, hold on. I do know that the Subaru WRX is the most ticketed per capita. So that is like they always get, you know, for the number of of WRXs sold, they're the most tickets per vehicle. This was the other thing that was interesting is when you looked only at accident rate, uh, Tesla drivers were. Uh, the worst. They had the highest accident rate at 23.54 per thousand. Ram was right behind at 22.76 and Subaru was 20.90. Those three brands were the only brands with accident rates over 20 per thousand. Uh, the lowest brands, so again, those are in the low 20s. The lowest brands, Pontiac, Mercury, and Saturn were 8.4, 8.9, and 9.1. So quite a bit different. So, But it doesn't matter because they're not on the road. And Well, like I said, I, I think the whole thing is a little bit bogus because there's no way Dodge isn't on the top 10 yeah. in worst drivers. There's no way. No. And that ain't true. No. That's not true. Mm-mm. And again, I look at Tesla and I'm like, how are you? So get your facts straight. Getting in all those accidents when you have all the safety equipment. Shouldn't your car be stopping for you and all that kind of like, what are you I, doing? I just don't think it does. It clearly, yeah. clearly, clearly doesn't or work. Or people don't know how to interact with the technology, maybe. 
I don't know. I'm just saying that I as I want to believe, but I think that this might be somewhat off. What the hell is wrong with you? So uh, anyway, be careful on your way home because you have one of those death machines, clearly. <laughs> I'm driving a death machine? Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know you drove tonight at the Scion. Scion did not make the list. I feel pretty safe in the TRX. Podcast at gmail.com. The Truck Show. The Truck Show. The Truck Show. Oh, oh. You know who is not on that list? Ferrari. Our friends over at Nissan. Lamborghini. Oh, yeah. So there. How about that? Good. Wow, not even on the list. Go get yourself a safe car. Get, get it uh, at your local Nissan dealer. NissanUSA.com, where you can build and price. Um... Before we get to banks and thank them for supporting the show, uh, we have to, I don't know, we have a litany of things. Please leave us a review. Please email us, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on our socials, at truckshowpodcast, at LBC Lightning, at Sean P. Holman. And uh, we're missing some five-star hotlines, guys. We want to hear about what you're doing in the new year, 657-205-6105. And also, well, do you agree with this list? Do you feel that, that Lightning is the worst driver on the road because he drives around? I think now, that's fair. Was, was I a better driver when I had a Toyota or when I drove an, uh, an Acura or a BMW? Or is it now I'm an a-hole because I drive a TRS? You're an a-hole because your license plate says yummy gas. <laughs> Whoever suggested that is a yeah, dick. Okay. Yeah, that was you. But I, we want to know your opinion on these topics. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com or, like you said, the five-star hotline, 657-205-6105. All right. Thanks for uh, listening to the show. Don't forget to uh, check in on truckshowpodcast.com for uh, events, our event calendar. Lightning is adding uh, things all the time and putting them up there. Uh, and if you've got a show, please email us and uh, we'll get it up there for you. You guys have done that, by the way. So thank yeah, you. Lots. We've had. Yeah, quite I think a few. I've got like there's more than forty events on the calendar right now. Yeah, with with more in the in the queue. So again, I uh, just want to thank our presenting sponsor, Nissan. If you're looking for a brand new truck that is safe, that will not make you the world's worst driver, then head on over to your local <laughs> Nissan dealer. Again, NissanUSA.com, where you can build a price. You can find the Nissan truck of your dreams, the right truck for your driveway, the right truck for your life, whether you need a mid-size Frontier or a full-size Titan. Nissan has you covered, and of course, the Titan comes with the industry's best five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. And when you want performance parts for your gas or diesel pickup truck, and you want them to not only be street legal in all 50 states, but you want them to pass the smog check, head over to BanksPower.com because all the parts are 50 state emissions compliant from Ram Air Intakes to Monster Exhaust to Monster Rams, Derringer Tuners, and so on. BanksPower.com. Type in your year, make, and model to find yours. Homa, do you think people are enjoying our midweek episode? Our uh, quote-unquote shorter one that comes out on Thursdays? That's not a whole lot shorter. <laughs> We're trying. We're not trying very hard. Well, it, uh, if, if the numbers are any indication, you guys like the uh, short-form one just as much as you like the long-form one. So, and that's uh, what she said. <laughs> keep, uh, keep listening, and thank you, everybody, for the support. As a reminder, the next show will drop this coming Thursday. I'm not listening to you. You're crazy. The Truck Show Podcast is a production of Truck Famous LLC. This podcast was created by Sean Holman and Jay Tillis with production elements by DJ Omar Khan. If you like what you've heard, please open your Apple Podcast or Spotify app and give us a five-star rating. And if you're a fan, there's no better way to show your support than by patronizing our sponsors. Some vehicles may have been harmed during the making of this podcast.